Recorded live. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you're listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 404, podcast not found. My name is Eric Nielsen, and with me today, my co-host, John White. John, how's it going? How's it going? Podcast not found. <laughs> That's awesome. We almost didn't just have one. We figured we'd just put something up there that went, podcast not found. <laughs> On the on the show today, we're just going to have an open mic. Um, we have on the on on the call today, Corey Romero, the communities team, Corey Romero, Katie Bradley, Elsa Mayer, myself, and then as always, John, uh, who was also at the show. So we should have a good conversation of our 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 impressions of what happened at the show, both U.S. and Europe. Now that they're over, I thought they were actually unique, so I thought it'd be fun just to have an open conversation with them. Awesome. Yep. So that's what we'll do. Um, I don't know if we have any announcements before we get started. I don't think there are any announcements that I'm aware of. Everybody's just getting back from Europe. Yeah, mostly I think all the announcements got stacked two weeks in a row, three, ten days apart, right? VMworld US, VMworld Europe. Yep. Everything's yep. out. Everything's being talked about. And here we are going to you know, hopefully chat about some of these things and impressions. Yeah. The only thing that I think we should we should spend a little bit of time on is the Bay Report. Oh, no, yeah. We've got to know, right? C- certainly don't want to miss that. Today it was uh, brown, uh, trending to blue, trending to gray, so uh, not too exciting. Uh, but it wasn't the electric blue that I've seen in the past, so no chemical spill. I also want to do a shout-out to Tony Foster, who, you know, we're just going to make him an honorary, you know, secondary co-host. So, Tony, uh, glad you could make it. Uh, don't know if you're on mute or not, but thought I would say hi. Uh, thank you. Ah, very good. He is there. Right? I oh. am. Brown, I agree. It's kind of overcasty, not a lot of sunlight, so nothing makes through through the through the murky mud of the bay. Right, right. right. So, impressions of VMworld. Um, who wants to start on their general impressions? I guess um, was anybody, was it their first? Elsa or Katie, I think you guys have both been to VMworlds in the past, so I don't think we have a, a first-time impression. So who wants to go first and, and tell us about their impression? Elsa, have you been before? I have been before. Um, I went to VMworld US two years ago, I believe, 20, 2015. Oh, okay. US. So that was in San Francisco. In a way, it was my first VMworld because I did VMworld in Vegas in the U.S. and then VMworld in Barcelona is my first time doing VMworld Europe. So uh, definitely cool to see some new locations. Yeah, I, I generally thought the VMworlds were uh, the best ones I had ever seen at VMware. And there's just a couple things that I thought was were in, was interesting. One was the number of people in Europe I thought stood out. Uh, I felt like this is the first time that if I had closed my eyes and you had dropped me there and blindfolded me and, and said, what's the difference between this one and the other one? I wouldn't have been able to tell. The volume, the amount of people that were moving, the amount of conversations that were happening um, felt almost the same as in the U.S. than it did in Europe, right? There was no perceivable difference for me. And I don't know if it was just because the VMTN community booth was in such a main section of uh, VMworld Europe, but I just felt VMworld Europe was, you know, hopping, busy, crowded, much like I always feel that the U.S. conference is always busy and crowded. This time, 
people showed up to Europe in droves. And the numbers said it. I think we had plus 11,000 um, oh in, in Europe, which normally we're at like seven, eight, maybe topping eight, nine. Right. right? But we, we saw the, uh, the extra 2,500 people in Europe, which just made the volume of people at that venue feel busy and crowded. Right. So that was it. That was interesting. I thought it was really good. And then secondly, I felt like our products have expanded, expanded enough that there was there was theme things going on. There was storage. There's vSAN and there's all the storage vendors. Uh, there was there's always compute. But then with NSX there and the networking products taking root, I felt like there was it was a multidimensional co- uh, conference this time. I also saw many more suits this time than I have in the past, right? <laughs> you know, the audience, the, we always see the backpackers. We always see ourselves, right? Because we hang out with ourselves, right? There's always IT practitioners, administrators, script writers, cool people, right, that we all relate to, right? But I also saw a business executive type of crowd there and in numbers, right? Not just here or there. It was, it was equal representation. Going through Vegas and walking through the crowds after the keynotes, you saw a whole bunch of different dressed people, right, from different, you could tell, parts of the company at, at the show, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, there's definitely, I think, maybe from my, uh, you know, perspective on an account team, there, there's definitely a push, right? When you have a, a show like VMworld, the, the bias within large organizations is, yeah, we're sending our administrators, you know, to find out about the latest technology. They'll come back and brief us you know, higher up, so, you know, VP of technology, you know, the CIO. Well, there, there has to be this push to get, you know, kind of uh, VP, SVP, C-level people to the show and kind of have a separate track for them to understand, you know, the business value of the, of the products that we're pushing or else, you know, the, those kinds of people aren't going to sign off on $10 million, $20 million purchases with VMware, you know, kind of a comprehensive overall uh, agreement between their organization and, and VMware. So in order for that to happen, they have to be there to really understand business value. So, you know, there's definitely a big push for that. I think that might be also what's happening is that because NSX is getting real traction now as an enterprise solution, because storage is becoming a real, there seem to be more an executive presence willing to show up and say, we want you and your solutions as a strategic partnership for the whole data center solution. Right. Right. Back when we were single point products, executives just let their IT guys tell them what they wanted for a given area. But now I think there's a higher level of sale going on convincing executives to buy into the whole stack, to automate, to, to really build the full SDDC. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've been saying, you know, software-defined data center for a while now, but I think the realization of that vision has, has really just kind of peaked, right? So we started with the compute. Now storage is mature. You know, virtualized storage is mature. Virtualized networking is mature. And, you know, the management has always been there. But, it, you know, having that tight integration with those solutions and the ecosystem to, to really kind of talk about that full stack. You know, we've had the cloud foundation people here, the um, VMware validated design people here talking about, you know, just kind of, uh, you know, those uh, integrated stacks. And to have it all, you know, again, top to bottom and into a fully realized vision of software defined data center. Now, you know, in order to really, uh, you know, align with that, you really need to have like a, like a higher level executive to sign off on the entire, entire thing. Yeah. And then hence the bigger deals and right. Yeah. Getting the executive there to sign off and be part of the, 
part of the buy process. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I could see that. That was an impression I had for sure. Um, back to the numbers thing. I think U.S. is twenty thousand. Europe was uh, eleven or twelve, and so that that number might be equal total. But we might have seen a shift for people sure. not coming to the U.S. because Europe was essentially at the same time or within a week or two. And so why bother coming to the U.S. one when you can just go to Europe and get the same experience? Right. Which I think was a good thing. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other things that I thought were, were interesting were some some of the announcements. Uh, we can get into the products side of the house now. Uh, the one that I thought was the most interesting was the cloud response, right? If you had asked me uh, what people would think of VMware offering cloud services, i.e., you can buy from VMware Amazon-hosted VMs, right? Running on vSphere but hosted in Amazon. I would have scratched my head and said, yeah, VMware has done that before, right? We've tried to be in this cloud business where we're selling VMs, and I would have, I would have bet on the. I don't think that's going to work, you know, right. side of the house, just because I feel like maybe some people will just go to Amazon and go, you know, buy Amazon separately. Why come to VMware? What IP are we actually offering? Well, we're offering NSX, we're offering some connectivity, but is that enough to get you to come buy your VMs that are going to be hosted on Amazon? from VMware. Um, that was my impression going in that I wasn't sure that was going to resonate, but after speaking to X number of SEs and IT practitioners, it was pretty clear that all of them were like, yeah, our customers want this. They want a single point place to buy compute capability, which is VMs, and we buy from VMware already to, to run our VMs. This makes sense for us to just buy excess compute capacity if they're hosted at Amazon, that's great. We just want excess VMs. So yeah. that was, I got that message loud and clear from a lot of different people. And I, I don't think that we should downplay the importance of being in Amazon data centers too, right? The, the value that Amazon brings, you know, I think is probably one of the, pro, one of the issues that we had with our, our vCloud Air offering, right? We sold that off to OVH. Um, why, why was that strategically important? It was because they were a data center operator already that had, you know, huge data center presence throughout the world you know, mainly based in Europe, but, you know, making a U.S. footprint as well. So, you know, the main issue there was how quickly could we scale to, you know, data centers in every single uh, geographic region and every single, right. you know, country in uh, FedRAMP data centers. You know, that it just, uh, you know, the, the build out there, you know, the capital intense, intent, how capital intensive that right. was, was right. you know, that, that was an issue for the company. I think we took a strategic, you know, look and said, you know, maybe that's not the right business for us to be in. Now, our partnership with Amazon is, you know, we're renting the bare metal from them. So, you know, all the capital, you know, expenditure is, you know, theoretically, and you know, I don't really know the business details in the partnership between us and Amazon, but it, it appears to be on Amazon's side, right? So they're renting us the bare metal, you know, we turn around and rent that back out to the customers. Right. right. And, and yeah. it's also, you know, very different from our, our vCloud Air offering. You know, functionally, vCloud Air was, was based on vCloud Director. So there's a whole other layer of APIs and familiarity that customers, you know, theoretically had to be, uh, had to learn in order to, to get into that business if they wanted, you know, pure API automation. Whereas we're offering, you know, vCenter, vSphere and vCenter. There's right. no requirement to have vCloud Director. Yeah, in uh, our cloud on AWS. From my perspective, I thought, and maybe I was just wrong, that 
you could go to Amazon, get VMs, put vSphere on it, run VMs there, right? You didn't need VMware to enable that, right? You could go do that, right? And run vSphere on, run VMs buying directly from Amazon. And then I could also run a Linux kernel that had NSX enabled, so I could build a secure pipeline back to my data center. You didn't have to buy that from VMware. You could go to Amazon, set that up, run that, and you know, be in business, right? Sure. So to me, the added value, what was VMware going to add on top of that? Uh, well, two things, right? One, supportability. Right. Supportability. That's, that's what I learned, <laughs> right, is that there is a big support element to that, right? One company to go say, hey, this software solution is not working. We need help making it work and then certifying it. And then, right. uh, and then two, billing and, and invoicing, right? There, that was the second thing that a lot of people gave me feedback because it looked we already have an enterprise license agreement. Make a line item and say, say you know, 500 more VM capacity, right? Right. And then just add it in. I don't. I just want to have one place to buy all my VM software, including now hardware. Right. 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 The the interesting thing that I've seen come out of that is maybe a little bit of confusion about what the actual solution is, right? Like I keep on yeah. hearing some people in discussions say, oh well. You know, you need to first of all have uh, you know vSAN and NSX in your data center in order to really take advantage of VMware Cloud on AWS. And I heard that at least in two different discussions. Um, and I went, "Whoa! You know, here's a, a major misunderstanding. You know, those solutions might be required to be, you know, within uh, the Amazon solution, the VMware Cloud and Amazon, but." But that's not required on-prem in order to take advantage of those things. In fact, you don't need to have anything on-prem. You could just buy this. Um, if you're a brand-new company, you can buy VMware Cloud and AWS without any on-prem infrastructure. If you want to connect it back to your on-prem infrastructure, I think the baseline requirement is vSphere 6. Yeah, 6.5. Uh, no, you can no. actually do it with 6.0. 6. Okay. Yeah, okay. The, there's, it's better with 6.5. Got you it. Know, there's there's right. better connect, connectivity, but... You know, requiring vSAN and NSX on-prem is is not and not at all the requirement at all. That makes sense. And maybe if you want to have vSAN and NSX integration, then maybe you need 6.5 or something to be able to connect the two. But I don't. Yeah, your point is you don't. You're not required. You don't need anything on-prem right. to go buy vSphere on Amazon now with this announcement. Right. And, yeah. I, you know, in the first milestone that was released, I don't even think that there's like vSAN to vSAN connectivity uh, as a, a, even a capability, right? So you would probably want to have something like uh, Amazon Direct Connect in order to do something like that. And I don't think that's available until milestone two or milestone three. So, um, you know, vSAN is, you know, certainly not required. And uh, NSX, you know, NSX yeah. to NSX connectivity, right. I think, that, you know, might be a further down the road milestone. So, but impression-wise, from an announcement perspective, oh my I thought I thought that uh, it was very positive, and I had predicted it would go, it would flop. But in yeah. fact, I was wrong. It so is, much buzz. Yeah, tons of buzz and a lot of pickup. And I got SE after SE going on. And my customer wants this. I'm going to engage with them. We're going to go back and do presentations. We were waiting for this. Right. And then, of course, you know, one of the very first use cases is disaster recovery, and we don't have that quite ready to roll out yet. Um, but, you know, we can certainly do vSphere replication out. Um, we just don't have the orchestration to do the automatic uh, failover and automatic failback yet. But um, that's, that's, you know, coming right. in the future. Right. 
So other things that people talked about, uh, any, any, any impressions? I didn't get by the session, so I didn't spend, I was, but we'll talk in the later part of this about VMTN and the community, uh, but first part of this podcast, still talking about products. Anything that struck you with regards to sessions that were interesting? In my Twitter feed and my LinkedIn feed, it was just overwhelming the amount of discussion about vSAN that was going on. Um, there was, you know, I think uh, I didn't even go to this session, but so many people were talking about this top 10 use cases for vSAN session that Dun- Duncan Epping, I think, was the one who, who hosted that. It was just overwhelming the number of people that were talking about that specific session, but then it spilled over into other discussions. So, you know, vSAN is uh, mainstream, you know, right. and, uh, you know, tons and tons of buzz on that. Yeah, I uh, I wasn't too deep in the session, so I didn't get uh, time to experience what was super hot. So, so vSAN, uh, I know that uh, Lee Caswell, who runs the marketing org for them, was on Twitter a lot talking about it, and they have various different, you know, high-value things to talk about. You know, we accomplished this, we accomplished that in the market. So I think they're feeling excited about the momentum they have. Definitely, definitely. Right. Um, so, so that was interesting. I thought that, obviously, NSX, they had the... Uh, the separate conference on day in Vegas on Wednesday and Thursday. They I don't remember the Future name Net. FutureNet. Yep. Yeah. So they had FutureNet with you know 250 people just talking about networking technology going forward. It was hosted by VMware, but it had a bunch of different networking experts. So I feel like we're starting to get traction there. It's a longer buy cycle, but there was a lot of buzz around NSX everything. Definitely, okay. definitely. I think and I think we tried to keep the NSX talk um, out of FutureNet. Uh, and make that more of a vendor-neutral discussion. Um, but, you know, the NSX discussions in, in VMworld, you know, were, again, maybe a little bit overwhelming. <laughs> and, um, you know, brand new offering in App Defense too, that was one of the announcements. Uh, you know, that was on the, the main stage and, um, you know, immediately started to get uptake in that and discussion in the hands-on labs. People wanted to, to see that. We released it you know, on, I think, day two, and there was a hands-on lab on day two. And Speaking of hands-on labs, I know that there were the top two hands-on lab. One was cloud and AWS, and the other one was intro to NSX, right? So yeah, intro to NSX always tops the charts. I think uh, intro to vSAN was number two, and and then, you know, VMware Cloud on AWS, that introductory lab was number three, which, you know, again, for um, to, to kick the, you know, kind of what's new in 6.5 out of the top three spot is, is pretty amazing for a product that, you know, was uh, not something that you could buy three months ago. Right. And I didn't, you know, 6.5 was announced. Um, over a year ago. Now. Over a year, right. Yeah. That's, that's right. So I was going to say a while ago. And, and so there wasn't any, if we looked at social volume, for mm-hmm. instance, there wasn't a big uptick on vSphere conversations, right? Um, right? It was all NSX, vSAN, and not a lot of compute, right? But we still made the volumes because the, the business is growing in these other areas. Right? Absolutely, yeah. And, and we also didn't have the I hate VMware because Dell bought us conversations going, so it was all 
fairly positive this year from a social perspective. Right, right. Um, and so, yeah, vSphere, not such a big conversation generator. Um, I assume there was all the standard labs and sessions that were going on, but vSphere wasn't the driver, which is fascinating, right? A lot of times, 80% of our volume has been vSphere. And when we don't do a major release during a VMworld, we see our numbers like at 60% of what they normally are. Mm-hmm. And this, this year, our numbers grew around product conversations by about 15%. Without having the I hate you because Dell bought us and without having a new release of vSphere, um, right. we still saw that 15% growth. Which well, was you know, it's about a year out from that you know, 6.5 release, and I think people are starting to get a little bit more comfortable with the idea of upgrading to it. And uh, you know, we had some major announcements on the stage with, uh, with uh, the, the client going pure HTML5, being you know, 100% feature complete. Um, no updates to the Flex client. And, you know, so people, I think I actually started to hear some people talking about that as, you know, oh, well, that's great. Well, then maybe I'll move forward with that, you know. And um, I I think that, uh, you know, at least in my patch, I'm starting to hear customers talk about, you know, but let's get to that upgrade. What is it that we need to do? Let's let's move the needle on that and, and get to the latest version. Yeah, I feel I feel like that whole conversation, I, I certainly watched the threads on the it's still the number one thread you know, of all threads was right. the complaints on on the uh, HTML GUI versus you know versus standard vCenter. Why uh, isn't v- it feature complete? Yeah, yeah. Uh, C sharp. Uh, and um, Pat saying that was good. I don't, I don't know if Pat knows what he's saying there, right? Like whether that's a complete marketing message or whether that's they really believe that it, you know, feature complete versus every small bell and whistle. Wh- where do you where do you draw that line, right? Mm-hmm. And are they drawing that line? Do they understand that or not? I feel it's almost like old Mac OS versus new Mac OS. And when is everybody finally bite the bullet? I'm still running on the old GUI of Mac, right? I refuse to go to the, <laughs> the flat color design, but I'm slowly running out of apps that I can run um, on my Mac because I don't do the upgrade because I just like the old look and feel better. Everybody's going to have to do that with vSphere. I mean, with vCenter at some point, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. And when do you do it? When will you just bite the bullet and just get used to the new one and figure out new ways to, to drive things for if there's missing features? But clearly, I think Pat, you know, made that statement. So hopefully they'll keep working. I know they've worked on it as hard as they can, right? Right. Uh, to make that happen, I know there's a lot of angry people out here that still, like myself, are kind of in the yeah, but it isn't yet. So. Tell me when it is, and maybe I'll look at it again. Yeah, I mean, right. I'm solidly in the yeah, but it isn't yet camp as well, right? right. You know, right. why why do I have to use three three different uh, you know user interfaces and, and and clients? But at the same time, then I'm like, but I don't get this feature. Like, I can't sync my iPhone anymore because you need a new version of iTunes, and iTunes you know won't install on this old OS any longer. And so I start picking off major things. I can't get the new Skype. You start doing that in the vSphere. Uh, you know, management layer as yeah. well. At and some point, you have to get comfortable with the new one. Yeah, and that's the stick approach, right? That that's the well, you can't use any of these new features because you know you're not using the HTML5 client. But we we really need to use the carrot approach too, which is it's better, it's yeah. faster, you know, it's at least as good as the client that you're used to. Like that's the the baseline, right? That we should really be be approaching. It. And when you start doing the integration of true STDC. 
right, where you have vSAN, you have NSX, you have to, system management has to be real. vCenter wasn't big system management. It was, it was, it was VM management, right. right? When you start doing the, the data center management, you know, having a browser interface for the stuff, you know, where you have multiple product, products plug in, it just makes more sense. Yeah, yeah. And I don't even think you can really do it if you just sit in vCenter, C-sharp version, uh, or if you try to build it that way. I don't think from an organizational perspective you would be able to do that. Right. right. Well, I think you know, you're know you talking about um, cluster-level management, right? When you initially sit at that cluster level and, and you know maybe you're even maxing out at, at 50, 64 you know, hosts in your cluster. Well, you know, we have organizations today where, you know, a, a single maxed out vCenter is, is nothing to them, right? They have 12 vCenters, you know, sp- spread out throughout the, the globe, you know, right. and maybe more, you know, a thousand, ten thousand different hosts, you know, that, you know, this is at that level, you know, it, it, you're probably managing via API, you know, not via GUI. And, uh, and so some of those things become a little bit more important too. Automation. So, so Tony's on, and uh, Tony, we'll, we'll take a pause here. What was your favorite session, and why? So, um, I only saw a handful of sessions, and um, I'm actually leaning towards the uh, uh, EUC uh, keynote um, at uh, VMworld uh, Las Vegas. Uh, lots of good stuff in there. Um, really exciting to see a lot of the uh, new features that are uh, in the works and coming what do you, what makes you, what makes you excited um so really excited about uh um some of the technologies that are being added um excited to actually see the uh um improvements being put into place uh, to enable the uh um, Skype for Business uh, messaging finally in Horizon View. Um, that's something that uh, has been talked about for a long time, and it really uh, seems like it's uh, becoming a reality to where you can get uh, um, uh, standard uh, um, calls like you're used to with hardware inside of a virtual desktop. So. Um, really excited about to see that uh, coming to fruition um, and being super powerful. The other thing that uh, is on my radar is it wasn't it was part of a session. I didn't make it to the session, um, but you could also see it on the show floor was uh, GPU V Motion. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So that opens up lots of possibilities uh, beyond just VDI. Yeah, and, and taking a step back, I think this is the first year that AirWatch didn't have its separate show, if I'm uh, not mistaken. So the AirWatch and mobile presence at VMworld US, I saw you know a serious uptick actually. You know, a lot of different mobile uh, vendors out there. Um, so you know, in that context, the the end user computing business unit you know now encompasses both the virtual desktop groups and the mobile device management, identity management, workspace one space, right? So solutions built around all of those things, you know, got, you know, really exciting. And I actually had a, a customer come back from the show and said, say, hey, you know, we really need to accelerate our use of, of this and, you know, 
get started in a proof of concept. So, so that's really interesting. I actually even have a customer today using kind of the, the Workspace ONE uh, space to do uh, look at doing uh, Mac OS management, um, iOS, uh, Android, and Windows 10 uh, desktop management as kind of an integrated solution as opposed to um, having multiple tools for each of those things. But then, of course, you know, you know, Tony, exactly what you're saying. You need to be able to use those standard business apps. So as we, you know, kind of uh, sandpaper away those rough edges, you know, it becomes even more usable. Yeah, I think the yeah the, the network typology and just the the way they're building it out now makes it more and more realistic to actually have true virtualized desktop experience where apps work in real time, whether it's streaming video, streaming audio, where they can, they can handle that, right? Or even heavy CAD CAM to to Tony, your point, you know, doing a vMotion of a GPU, right, where you have a a, a complex app that you can move around. That's fascinating. I, I, who who does that kind of stuff? So there are a lot of uh, people who do it in the CAD CAM space, or at least would like to do it in the CAD CAM space. Um, it's still a technical demo. It's not even in tech preview yet. Um, it's a, a technical demo. So CAD CAM users are the current target of it. However, mm. when you start thinking about things like machine learning, deep learning, and other areas that aren't traditionally virtualized, all of a sudden vMotion um, and really suspend and resume of virtual machines with GPUs starts making those um, a much more palatable target for um, virtualization. Right. And again, context. Like today, you know, we have uh, virtual desktops which can use uh, virtual GPUs. Like that, that's a current capability. The the gap is once you're tied to a virtual GPU, it's you know the ability to vMotion that that virtual desktop around is nil. You're kind of tied to that that host. Um, the current CAD CAM users, you know, I think love it, right? Uh, I even had some you know kind of reservations myself. I was like, who's going to give up their engineering desktop to use a a, a virtual environment, you know, uh, for for CAD CAM? And and the answer that I got back was, well, the very first time that you don't need to drive into the office on a weekend to mm. look at a diagram yeah, right. and then just hit accept, right. you know, uh, is the is the time that you're sold on it. And I went, oh, yeah, I can. I, can I, I right have away. seen that. My son is a hardware engineer, and, yeah, he, he basically has to keep his laptop with him, drive back and forth to the office, because when you're starting to do CAD CAM, right, you know, for chip layout, yeah, it's it's a, right. you have to be where the where the system is, and yeah. and you have a contractor or a group of people overseas working on the exact same thing. Right. So now you need to send that giant file um, over the over the wire, you know, to Europe, right. and uh, and the capability to do that, you know, what if it fails? Well, then you right. lose an entire day of of um, work. So, you know, instead of doing that, you know, they just VDI over to, you know, where the files actually are. Okay. One last thing, and then we'll, we'll move on to some of the other stuff that was at the show. Um, the last thing that I thought on the product side of the house that I thought was interesting is that uh, the IOT booth was there and you walk around the IOT and Toyota was there 
and they're using VMware Horizon solutions to start managing uh, IoT devices, device deployment into automobiles, into cars. And the, the Lexus 2020, I think it is, mm-hmm. uh, is going to have you know uh, updates coming using VMware to process a large number of devices, you know, cars, autos through wire, right? Um, which I found pretty interesting, right? And that VMware actually had a uh, a spot in that in that space because of the large number of, of updates that need to be managed, right? And you have clients, host desktops, or you have compute devices that are in automobiles, um, same type of solution managing. Uh, security is I- imperative that no one can hack that distribution because right. you're d- delivering payloads out to automobiles that, you know, if something gets hacked there, you're in serious trouble. So I thought that was pretty interesting to see that. They also had building uh, building automation kind of in mm, people there, right. big commercial enterprise buildings where you're controlling heat distribution throughout the building and device management there. Uh, same type of solution there I thought was interesting. IBM was there with Watson uh, doing uh, data a- uh, acquisition from devices and then using VMware. I didn't really understand what they were using for M- VMware there, but large device management for data acquisition was also part of that that set. So cool stuff in mobile, right? And yeah. Yep. I definitely have my eye on the Internet of Things, you know, use case. And in that kind of I think our organization is still in the office of the CTO kind of being incubated, but it's you know worth keeping your eye on. Now I didn't really mention this before the last couple of days I was at um University of Michigan on a uh a talent acquisition recruiting trip. Right. So we were talking to the new graduates and and the computer science majors there. And it was just surprising the number of projects that uh, all these students, I must have talked to 100 different students, and a significant proportion of them had uh, coursework in Internet of Things. Significant uh, proportion had coursework in computer vision as well, you know, so machine learning. Um, You know, this, this is all up and coming stuff. And, you know, it doesn't, generally make it to the universities like ahead of where it needs to, you know, happen in industry. It's it's industry that drives it and industry that says, hey, we're we're we need people that, that have this stuff, right? And then universities respond by by introducing courses. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I know that we, we I, I did talk to some people from a impressions of show perspective of uh, Amazon reinvent, reinvent versus right. uh, VM worlds, right? And the, to be candid, they were like, "Look, you go to reinvent, the average age is 25, right? The, you go to VM world, the average age is 35, right?" And so it's interesting to see as we get into IoT whether there is some spaces that we start working with with some of the students and some of the people that are actually building these solutions. We know they're deployed on Amazon, right? A lot of the uh, younger generation just goes right to Amazon to start mm-hmm. working on things as as we develop our Amazon relationship, that'll be interesting to see, and with IoT, that'll be interesting to see if we can, you know, start offering solutions to that to that market as well. Yeah, yeah. definitely interesting. Or that audience, I guess, not necessarily market, but the <laughs> younger, you know, the younger audience. All right, switching gears. Um, inter- so great, great feedback on products and announcements. That's our impressions. Uh, Katie and Elsa, uh, we'll start with you guys to talk about a little bit about community. I felt like uh, you know, obviously community was booming.
So it sounds like the uh, audio dropped. Katie, are you there? Looks like it's just you and I, Tony. Cool. I I assume talk shoes still recording, so hopefully here in a few, uh, Eric gets dialed back in and we can continue on. Um, Yeah. Right. Well, how was the rest? I saw you VM World Europe at the VXR party. I thought the VXR party was fantastic this year. Um, How was the rest of your VM World Europe? Um, The rest of my VM World Europe was uh, fantastic. Got to meet a lot of new people. Got to see a lot of old friends as well. So it was uh, definitely um, good to uh, be there and get to see everyone. Nice. I I find that you know meeting people in person half the fun is that you get to learn about more more about them than what they share on Twitter or what they share you know on BMTN. And Tony was fun learning about your rodeo this this conference. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh definitely wasn't my first rodeo, so <laughs> um yeah, it, it was. So was this your first VM World uh Europe? Yeah, it was. It was my first VM World Europe and it it been it had quite a build up, right? Uh I had one impression of what it was going to be like and then experienced something completely different. So that was definitely um exciting. I thought in my in my mind, it was a smaller conference, right? About half the attendees, lower traffic in, in the CM Village, and much more technically oriented. And I found that, you know, Europe was almost the exact same as the U.S. Constantly people in our booths, constantly talking to people. So, yeah, it was great. Yeah, I think that that was unique to this year, from what I understand. Uh, yeah. So in the past, my experience has been uh, much like you described it, much more technical, um, uh, smaller groups of people and everything. And uh, it it was actually awesome this year um, to see and feel that uh, energy really uh, uptick. Right, I agree. Um, Well, I mean, I don't agree, but it's good to hear that that's, don't that the momentum's moving forward. Yep. Okay. Well I see Corey's dialed back in. Corey, are you there? Yes, so yeah, yeah, I'm here. I dropped the I dropped audio for some reason, so I had to dial back in. Yeah, um it looks like Eric lost audio as well, so yeah, uh, okay, Tony. yeah, yeah. Just Tony and Katie. Yep. Got it. Hey, okay. So just 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 the three of us. Just yeah, so I didn't us right get now. a chance. I didn't get a chance to go to Barcelona, um, but Katie, it sounds like it was uh, completely different than than what I would have have expected. So normally, <laughs> I think you're talking about this a little bit. Normally, it is a lot slower in Barcelona, and we can't. It seems like we almost just can't. We couldn't pay people to get into our booth sometimes, right? Yeah. And so it sounds like it sounds like uh, not only did the show have a big turnaround, but it sounds like. We did some changes as well this year that that kind of that kind of helped shape um, active this year in Barcelona. Yeah, I so, think you know our location was the big one, right? Like we yeah. this year in, in Barcelona. From what I understand, they rearranged the location of CM Village and Solutions Exchange. Tony, correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah. Um, but then, as soon as you walk into VM Village, smack dab 
front, right on the right. I guess if you're walking in, yeah, it was right on the right. You could see a huge VMTN community sign and a booth, and we were, like, right there. <laughs> That's awesome. That is really cool. I was – so going – for, so for me, I, I'll talk about U.S. for a second. So for me, what I thought was really cool was U.S. for the first time, um, they I saw that they intermixed uh, the solution exchange with the VM village with registration. So it almost like you have to go into these areas to get registered. And then after registration yeah, was yeah. over, they pulled registration back out into the hallway. And so everyone who was already registered, it came the first day and the second day, knew of the VM Village. And then all of a sudden, they opened up that wall that connected the VM Village to the Solutions Exchange, which just, for me, made the conference just all come together and feel like we were in one place, which I thought was really impressive. impressive. And Thursday traffic, we had record-breaking Thursday traffic for VMworld <laughs> on the last day. It was, like, unreal, like, uh, so we had like 30 people in our booth still. It was fantastic. It was great. Yeah, it was yeah. awesome. Yeah, really <laughs> impressed. Even in Europe, too, like I, Elsa and I both had to leave around 2 for our flight. And the VM, you know, our booth was due to close at 4. And yeah. we were still packed. Like we were, we were walking away with our suitcases and people were like, oh, you guys are leaving? Like we're just getting here. And we're like, oh, we... <laughs> We have to go. Um, so then Tim closed it out and was, was, you know, texting us and was like, I think it's okay if I leave the booth at four while there are still people here. We're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. It was so it was great. Right. Yeah. And that's like, that's <laughs> one of the, it's one of the first times we've had that big of a problem, right? And it's not even a problem. It's a, it, it was a, yeah, yeah, it was it was a blessing as more as what it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was just a surprise. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was fantastic. Yeah, sorry, sorry to call it a problem. It wasn't a problem. It was it was great. Even on Monday, it was kind of funny in Europe. Uh, we got to the booth and we were planning on just making sure they'd made the changes that we'd asked for on Sunday because we weren't meant to be open on Monday. And Monday, VMworld Europe, we basically were all there for you know like four to six hours just talking to people because everyone was already at the booth they're like you have a t-shirt do you have this do you have that we're like we're not open <laughs> you're like wait a minute we just came here to see what was going on <laughs> you guys are all here this is good and great <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, I will say there wasn't any barricade or anything that kept us from wandering in that uh, just no, sitting yeah. down <laughs> right right yeah yeah true <laughs> it was so great though was, it uh, was uh fun so what about labs in europe uh, how are uh, how are labs? Were labs? I mean, were, were, the, were the same? Did they did they kind of mimic um, U.S.? Meaning, did we have record breaking labs in Europe as well as U.S.? Um, so I think I I think as of this morning we were number two. So this is like the second highest year of all time in Europe. First highest year of right. all time for hands on labs in the U.S. Second highest year of all time for hands on labs in Europe. But what I did like about Europe a lot more than the U.S. was the labs were integrated into VM Village. So, and, and labs also were like immediately when you walked in to register, they were mm -hmm. like you were walking by labs on your left, which I thought was really cool. And the nice, one thing yeah. about U.S. that I didn't particularly like about the setup was that labs were, you know, quarter mile, half mile away from from VM Village Exchange. Yeah, I was just going to say that normally in Europe, labs are really close to wherever we are. And this year in U.S., I don't even remember even seeing labs 
when I, you know, was walking to my different areas doing those different things, I don't ever remember seeing labs. So, yeah, they must have been quite a far, quite a distance away. Yeah. 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 It was like, like you had to go down a level to find labs. People were, I kept having to ask where they were. You had to know you wanted to go to the labs to actually go to the labs. Right. Right. Exactly. It wasn't one of those, oh, happy mistake, I wound up at the labs. <laughs> yeah, or, oh, hey, hands-on labs, I'd love to try one. I'd love yeah. to try the intro to NSX or explore what they're offering. But it was... It... Oh. So, Katie, did you also make it to the VX party in, in Barcelona? Oh, yeah, we made it. Um yeah, Katie and I were uh, talking earlier about uh, me telling my uh, rodeo story. So it, it was uh, quite a good time. Um, lots of oh, yeah. <laughs> the experts there and lots of Great. really good conversation. Good to hear. How now? How, now was it too? Was it too far from the venue? Uh, right. It, how was it, that? it wasn't bad. It was a uh, probably ten minute taxi ride. Okay, not too bad. All right, good to hear. Yeah, all right, excellent. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't bad. I will say though, Europe. The one thing I truly underestimated was um, the cab line. Like people had warned, I'd heard about it. Oh yeah, but... it's terrible. You have to use the shuttle, <laughs> yeah. or you have to like walk six blocks away and catch a cab somewhere else, right? And the key is to take your badge off, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned a couple of those tricks too. Yeah, Eric talked about it. I think a couple of weeks ago on the podcast as well is, is yeah, they actually have a law in Spain that says you can't just pull up and queue ten, fifteen people on a cab and go. It has to be one line, single file for you know, eleven thousand people. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, that was tough. I so it looks like. Is, is anyone else seeing what's going on in the chat right now? Is no. There, is mm-hmm. Tony Dunn on the call as well? Because Eric says that Tony's still on the call. Uh, I, I I think that's me, Tony, not Tony Dunn. Right. Uh, okay. So, yeah. Basically, uh, commandeered the podcast. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're still recording or not. (laughs) If we are, that's great. We're still talking about the show. It's fantastic. We'll just keep going until the top of the hour. Yeah, I I haven't seen uh, messages pop up saying call recording has stopped. Yeah, yeah. So we'll just keep going, and then uh, we'll stop in 10 minutes. And if it ends, uh, excellent. I can grab the recording. Indeed. Okay, cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, Katie, um, this was your first Europe, uh, your first Europe, uh, VM World Europe, but not your first time going to Europe. Is that true? Yes, that is true. Um, okay. It, it's a different experience traveling um, as, like, a college student versus traveling with your uh, company. I will say that. The, the hotel was incredible. The Barcelona experience, the food, everything was awesome. The conference was really fun. Yeah, the conference center is huge, isn't it, in Barcelona? It is massive. Yeah. <laughs> we, and we only take advantage of a small portion of that conference center. It's huge. Yeah, I was going to say, we didn't get anywhere uh, close to utilizing it all. 
No, we've actually had conferences there, and they've had conferences on the other side, and we've never even noticed, right? They're just complete opposite sides of the earth, almost so far apart. I can't believe that. I was, because we were walking through, and it was, you know, you have to go across through the river walk, which, by the way, I was extremely impressed with the projection that has the way that they can, they can take that entire area basically do those massive VMworld projections on the wall. Yeah, aren't those cool? Yeah, I thought that was incredible. Um, but, yeah, I couldn't believe that that center's, what, quadruple the size of what we're using? Yeah. I've, here, I've got a question. We, we didn't touch on uh, V brown bag sessions. How are those in Europe? Oh, those were, those were a big success in Europe. People... We're coming in. It was kind of funny because our setup in Europe was a bit more formal. So we were in the mm-hmm. front of the booth, and you couldn't really just walk by us without saying anything at the registration right. desk. So people were coming in. So we actually got to see the variety of people coming in for rebrand bag sessions because everyone's asking us, like, hey, where do we go? Right. Um, and, yeah, we were getting people, you know, for almost every session full, really similar to the U.S. in that way. 